0: Welcome to All The Things, with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique.
1: Hello! Hey everyone, welcome to Saturday! It is Saturday, May... 20th. 20th. All right.
0: All right. Time to have all the things. All the
1: things. I am Monique Dusson. Welcome to All the Things.
0: And I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology
1: Mom. And this is the show where we discuss all the things... Related to God, the Bible, and real life. Yes. Yes, yes. Helping us out on today's show is the one and only Bob Bontrager. Bob the button pusher, Bontrager. There he is.
0: All of his shenanigans in the background there and it's Funko Pop
1: and whatever there it all is right. yes and in our chat our chat moderators tonight are the one and only Haley Lewis I hope yes I yeah. got the right name oh my gosh I was like did I get her last name right hi Haley, and Yente Gillick hello all right and I'm glad to see Yente still around yes Yes. Oh, Shamika's here. All right. Hello, Ms. Shamika, and hello, Laura. And we are live, so make sure to let us
0: know that you are watching, and you can also post your comments and questions there for us to address during the show, because this is the show where we actually read the comments.
1: All (laughs) righty. So uh, what's been going on? Well, um, we've got
0: this little thousand-hour project going on. Called the book, and
1: this is just the baby
0: yeah it's uh coming along. Uh, we finished, we basically have it written now as of ten thirty last night, and yes. it's um most of the chapters have already had a round of editing. A few of the chapters are in their first round of editing. Hopefully on Monday, the whole book will be going to a second round of editing. And we have to send it off to the publisher by May 31st.
1: Yes. So we are very, very, very close. We actually selected our book cover design. Yep. Last week. We, yeah. yeah. Uh, two
0: weeks ago now. But yeah, we, oh, we before could go last, Thursday. Yeah. And uh, the title, we've got the title. So it's coming along. It'll be due out, God willing, if we meet all the deadlines and everything goes according to plan in February. So you can watch for it. And um, what are you going to say?
1: I was going to say, please pray for us as we are in the middle of all of the things with the book. We could definitely use your prayers for wisdom, making sure that all the right pieces are in the book. There's a lot to cover. And there's
0: so many things that we're like, oh, i got to cut this out for the word count. We're not covering this. We're not covering that. It's so hard. But we really want to cover
1: it all. Yes. Yeah, so please pray for us. We'd appreciate it. Now,
0: this show is brought to you by our friends at Impact 360, the Center for Biblical Unity. Thank you to all our donors who give yes. uh, every month and all the time for that. The Theology Mom Podcast and Family 210 Clothing. So our design tonight is uh, one that I did. The All Shades Are Beautiful design from based on Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. Yes. And comes in men's, women's, and kid sizes. Yeah. It's cute. So go check it out at family210.com. Awesome. And a portion of every purchase goes to, on that one, helps goes to the ministry. Yeah. And so we do appreciate your support. It's another way to do it. Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about racial unity. We're going to be addressing one of the most common questions that we get on the road and so we thought we would do a whole show about it so there's no guests there's just us so people can put their comments in the chat yeah (laughs) that's the only thing why won't it work oh yeah why why? no because i think when we go out on the road like the part of our model that people generally understand is the gospel okay monique The gospel unifies us. Okay, I could see some Bible verses here. But... But then there's the big but.
1: But how do we... Do this. Do this. Or how do we become unified with the person who's not a Christian? Mm -hmm. I really want to be, you know, have this unity that you're talking about with my non-Christian neighbor who, you know...
0: But if it's based on the gospel, you know, how how do I do that? Yeah, that's...
1: That's a mess. you got to have some first starting points, people.
0: Yeah. So we're going to talk, we're going to really focus on this whole question of how to walk in unity. So, so we're not going to lay the foundation for our unity tonight. We're going to make an assumption that people kind of understand some basics of the gospel.
1: And if you don't... <laughs> There's
0: some people on the chat who can help yes. you. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. But I would definitely say, like, if you have a Bible... Yeah. read John 17, yeah. Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians. Let's just, Let's, we're
0: going to look at Ephesians yeah. four in particular a little later in the show, but I thought this was a good way to kick this off as timely topic. I saw an article in the LA times this week mm-hmm. about two women. And now I had never heard of these women. I think I vaguely heard of the situation mm-hmm. that went viral that yeah. involved them. So, um, it's, uh, a story here that Bob's going to put up on the screen and people can go check it out in the LA Times. A black woman and a white woman went viral fighting racism. Then they stopped speaking to each other.
1: That's unfortunate. Mm, Yes.
0: So this is a long article and we're not This article
1: is extremely It's a lot of
0: scrolls. You're going to be scrolling a while.
1: A very long time.
0: It's interesting though. Um, What struck me about it is the idea of when you don't have a strong
1: foundation for unity, it can degenerate. Well, let's talk about the gist of the story. Okay, that's so good. So the gist of the story is that in 2018, these two women were sitting in a Starbucks, and you might be familiar with the um, the situation that happened in a Starbucks out in Philadelphia, where there were two black men, and they asked to one of them asked to use the restroom, and the barista, who was a young white girl called the police on them. The men were arrested. These two women did not know each other back in 2018, but they filmed one of them or both of them separately, maybe filmed the, the interaction between the men and the police, the men being taken away. And they were very upset about this. Well, they c- kept in contact and somehow through this process of sparking up a friendship and all that, they started a nonprofit or a some kind of, of organization that then went and spoke out against racism and, you know, black-to-white issues or white-to-black issues and things like that. I believe they even did some DEI stuff. Their um, organization, you know, really blew up. They had, like, 500,000 followers. I, can you they imagine
0: 500,000 followers? It's crazy,
1: I know. They, wow. um, they were on Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith. They did a lot of yeah. a lot of interviews. Well, la-di-da... Um, <laughs> You know, time passes, and from what the article says. Now, I can only go by what the article says, and you can look up the article. I can't, you know, speak to these women's feelings and what really happened and what didn't happen. What the article states is that the white woman then started to participate in microaggressions, and the black woman didn't really appreciate that. Even saying that, you know, she her story or her trauma is her racial trauma is now being exploited, and so uh, through a series of events. They ended up not speaking. The black woman took over the organization. And la-dee-da. It, there, it, there it, went history. it, it ended kind of ugly. It, it, it uh, ended yeah, kind of ugly. ugly. Yeah. And so what you brought, when, when you sent this to me and said, hey, maybe this can be like the opening for the conversation. It was, you know, why... Why doesn't you know, or what happened here? What yeah. happened that that the friendship went awry? You know, you have a black woman, white woman, kind of similar to us, I guess, you know, talking about race and racism, um, doing trainings, doing trainings, except they're doing it different. And I yeah. think that's the that's the crux of what we're saying. That's the crux of, you know, when we go out and we do trainings, it's that the gospel really offers a, a better hope and a different foundation. So my question, even in reading this article, and I would um, encourage you to go and look at that article. My, my question is, I wonder what their operating assumptions were about one another. And I wonder what their foundation was. So important. Because what your foundation is will also determine your operating assumptions about somebody else. And that's
0: the thing is that, as you've pointed out many times, um, when you don't have a shared foundation, the messiness of life, relationships, sin, difficulty can easily take over. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that it's always going to be enough to hang on to the relationship or the business, you know, just simply if you're... Cause it, it's hard. It is hard. What, what we do
1: is hard. What, one of the things that I think, before we even you know go down this whole path, what I think is very interesting is that we have, Krista and I have an understanding. We had this understanding you know, from the moment we started CFBU, is that if it looks like the ministry is getting in the way of the relationship, we're going to have to let one go. And we're not going to let go of the relationship. We're going to fight for each other. And so if we're going to fight for each other, that could mean, this here is getting in the way, but I don't believe that God would design us to allow you know, a ministry to be able to get in, in between the relationship. Like we're called to family, we're called to each other. And so but I, I think that the foundation was different. Yeah. It, is hard. It, is it is very hard.
0: Even with that foundation, it is still different in the grind of the day-to-day to hang on to things. And, but I don't know if that's a racial issue. I think that that's you know, a human issue just yeah. to hang on you yes. know in in any relationship so well let's let's kind of talk a little bit more in, in in unpack you know the differences in their approach based on what it says in the article and our approach sure um i want to start by talking about there there's some language in the article that makes me think they've been influenced by what we call anti-racism mm-hmm. diversity equity and inclusion principles um, the Christian version of this we might call racial reconciliation. Yeah, um, people outside the church don't tend to use that kind of language. Racial reconciliation. Yeah, yeah no, no, it really. tends to be the Christianized version of anti-racism. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I- even in the Christi- your
1: Christian brothers and sisters recommend Robin DeAngelo. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but but even in the Christian version, I think that there are some things that we could agree on. Early on in our relationship, when you were still kind of holding that framework, mm-hmm. is you would agree that I was a Christian, you were a Christian, we were sisters in the Lord. There was a basic, there was something, you know, basic to who we were mm-hmm. that that we held in common, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of our backgrounds. And, and, but you always seem to... Be right. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing.
1: <laughs> that was funny for me. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. But you always seem to also kind of have this thing that would show up in our conversations that made me feel like, well, there's something more that I need to do in order for us to really get to unity. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a basic kind of unity of being sisters in the Lord, but there was something more.
1: Deny that, your privilege.
0: That I was supposed to do. You know? Reject your whiteness. So, some of these works. Now, talk to us a little bit about, about yeah, that. Yeah, I
1: think part of it, I mean, and I don't want to... Was I
0: imagining that? That that was in the back of your mind? No, I
1: think that in the racial reconciliation model, you, you generally have a conversation about a table and getting people to the table. And at this table, there is a space for listening and listening to the pains of people of color, listening to... Oh, yes,
0: the table. You're always telling me to get to the table.
1: I'm going to need you to calm down. Okay, thanks. Um, Bob's trying not to laugh. <laughs> but bringing people to the table. And so the table, the table is a really beautiful setup because you even read about the table, what is it, in Revelation? You know, like you read the, the about- The marriage supper of the lunch. Yeah, so you have the big table. Everybody wants to come to the table. But at our table, at this table, you also need to listen. You need to create space for other Who's people. you? You. You white people? Uh, yes. What about you- People Honey, I'm color. already at the table. Honey, You're- I have been here. I am waiting for you to arrive. Okay, so that's that's kind of. But the thought. I mean, that's that's part of it. In all seriousness, okay. this, there's this idea that people of color have been trying to bring others to the table. That that our listening is always occurring because we live in a majority white. Um, society or a majority white nation. And so we automatically have to hear, we have to be able to understand what's happening with the majority culture. As the majority though, there's question as to whether or not White people understand the experiences of people of color, the heartache, the pain, the trauma of people of color. I am not saying that I agree with this. I'm just explaining parts of the pieces for this model. And so bringing people together to have true reconciliation, understanding, you know, your participation in things like whiteness or systemic racism or... um, um, like white superiority or things like that, and okay. how that can happen even without you knowing it. So there's this this table motif. So I need to that, to be in a learning mode. Yeah.
0: So I get to the table, and I'm going to be learning and listening.
1: Let me let me give a, a, a example. Okay. So in uh, there's a there's a ministry called Be the Bridge. They are a racial reconciliation model. Or in ministry. And so what happens is that when you join, like if you join their Facebook group and this, I got kicked out of of the table. (laughs) But when- You lost your place at the table. I lost my place at the table because I didn't agree. But when when you join like their Facebook group, everyone has a period of time of just like, sit here and observe, see what's going on, see how we do it. And then from there the the reconciling can begin of like asking questions or putting posts in the in the group and things like that. But at any moment, because white people are supposed to adopt a posture of listening and learning, a black person can say, White people aren't supposed to talk on this topic. So you could make a post and then you could say this BIPOC only. This post is for BIPOC. Black indigenous people, people of, of color.
0: color only and that the implied is white people should not comment and use. It's not our, implied, honey. That's overt. That we take up too much you verbal know what, space. Yes. And so we talk too much. Yeah.
1: No, it's playing. (laughs) So, I mean, this is—that's a part of it, though. So, as as a white person, there would be things that you would need to learn, to understand, to know, to do in order to be able to participate at this table. But that's part of that um, racial reconciliation for Christians, anyway. Model anti-racism would have something similar, and so there, these two ladies, their framework um, does, I I agree, seem like it's built on an anti-racist kind of Ideas. idea, yeah. even if they're not like fully embedded in it. I can't say that. I don't know them. Yeah. Um, but there
0: was some language about yeah. microaggressions and that the goal of the company was to engage in decolonization. And there was some disagreement among them about that project and
1: and see and this is and this is the
0: kind of terms that lead us to think yes that they were engaged in anti-racism.
1: And even even like saying, you know, you need to decolonize, you know, whatever, your your way of thinking, decolonize your your attitude or way of being, just even that alone like when we when we come into Christ and we are, you know, walking as sisters, it's not we might need to decolonize our American way of thinking in regards to, you know, church service or, or in in regards to Christianity, but I'm not asking you to, I think the, the bigger issue is how are we walking in sanctification with each other? Like, how are we walking so that we are as iron sharpens iron so that we are not, you know, walking in sin with one another, you know what I mean? As, as opposed to this thought process of decolonization How are we talking about sanctification?
0: Yeah, and that's a really good kind of um, leading us to the the critical point that I find when we're on the road that people have got to lay hold of in order to understand our model. Because what we are suggesting at the Center for Biblical Unity is that there are two models that are out there in the Christian space for how to talk about race and racism. The anti-racism or I think we think the Christian version of anti-racism is called the racial reconciliation model. We do not use the terminology or phraseology of racial reconciliation at the Center for Biblical Unity. Our model takes a different approach than the racial reconciliation model. So we would, we would agree with our racial reconciliation um, fellow Christians that there is something that, that unites us in a foundational way that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. They, they would agree with us on, on that point. They just think that there's more work to be done in order to get to real unity. Yes. Would that be fair?
1: I believe so. I believe that that is fair. Like there's a, it's almost like a two-pronged approach. Like we're united as brothers and sisters, but can we really be united in the physical? Okay, you know what I mean. There's work to be done. There's there's work to be done, even for you to understand who I am as a human person because I have a different color skin. Okay, but you know, so when I came, I had this idea of unity and what I thought would take us to get there. But you had a different view yeah. of what it took us, what it took to get to unity. Why don't you talk about the foundation on uh, for unity for how you saw it?
0: Yeah, and so. I remember vividly we were out on a walk out at uh, Thompson Trail, uh, talking about this, and I was, I was trying my best to explain my approach, and it, it didn't really make a lot of sense to you at the time. Uh, but I was what I was trying to get to is that, okay, we can talk about you know the what you called earlier like the sanctification or how we walk together, but that there was some kind of a foundation at the bottom to build on. That there was something that was, that was true about us, in a profound and meaningful sense, and that is that we were both in Christ, and so many of the conversations we had were through the the, the lens of race, and I said, you know, I just I can't find this lens the way that you talk about it in Scripture. I'm struggling, like. The scripture talks about humans as being either in Christ or in Adam. And once you come in in into being in Christ, we there is a a real supernatural reality that we are united, that we belong to the family of God, that we are brothers and sisters, and that then there are there are the father's household rules or how we ought to treat each other. And that foundation of us as the church, the people of God, the family of God, living stones, the temple of the Holy Spirit, all of these pictures that Scripture gives us for our identity, that that becomes then our primary identity. It's what we call our salvation identity. And I remember at the time, like, you were struggling to understand my point or why that was important or how that connected to the discussion on race. Um, because you're like, yeah, of course, we're both Christians. Like, I don't understand the connection here on this issue. But for me, that having that as a starting point, that unity is not a destination it's a it's a it's a starting reality that we have that was a pretty big difference between us
1: yes i will i will agree with that that yeah. that was it wasn't about it's so funny because i just said that a uh, um at a conference that unity is our starting point and we are supernaturally unified through the power of the holy spirit and so it's about how do we walk together from here not about how do i unite with you
0: yeah that makes sense yeah and i think that that was something that we both had to think through biblically and 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 that for us is ephesians one to three is okay we could agree yeah we're both in christ this is our starting point this is our foundation
1: because ephesians one to three is really gospel it really is. It's really, it's really just like your identity, yeah. all of that, and and how you get here, and what was done, and yeah. all the things that we cannot do for ourselves mm-hmm. is Ephesians one to three. So then we get to Ephesians four,
0: and this is sort of the walking in unity part. This is the walking. This is part.
1: the place where I wanted to sit down. I was like, I don't know about this. This
0: is the sanctification part. This is the part of the, what we call the father's household rules of how do we live together. Mm-hmm. So I asked Bob to uh, put it up on Bible gateway for us of Ephesians chapter four. So we're just going to go through it. And um, this is from the ESV tonight. And um, let's just read these first few verses together. And then
1: you said ESV tonight. Like it was like a whole thing i was like we have a new oh no because i changed translation so i always tell
0: people what i'm reading
1: from like how you had et tonight or whatever that show used to be no like sometimes i
0: read from the nat or sorry people people know i'm always changing sorry sometimes i use the legacy i like to try different translations all right i therefore a prisoner of the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called so Ephesians 4.1 is really like the turning point in the mm-hmm. book. Like everything from Ephesians 1 to 3 is the gospel, mm-hmm. is identity. How do we get here? How do we become the people of God? Ephesians 4.1 is kind of the hinge that now we're going to talk about. Now, how do we live? All right. So he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So now he's going to tell us how to walk. And this is what we struggle to explain to people. Here it is. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. So let's just start with those three verses. I I think this is vitally important for us to lay hold of, Mm -hmm. is the world is telling us a set of rules of this is how you walk in unity. This is how you ought to be holy. These are the beliefs. You got to have all of this complex set of interlocking beliefs and and all of this. For the Christian, what we have is very simple patience, love, maintain the unity and the bond of peace,
1: humility. It's simple, but way harder. (laughs) I think it's important, though, give people a little bit of backstory. Who were the Ephesians? Sure. Like, yeah, why don't you do that? The Church of Ephesus. Go yeah. ahead. I'm waiting. Yeah. Agree it. Well, the Church of Ephesus, if I am remembering correctly, they weren't necessarily... Well, the, the Ephesian community had been impacted by a lot of paganism and secular ideas.
0: Yeah. So when Paul... There was Paul, a large temple to Artemis there in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, in fact. Oh. And, um, it was a big center of commerce. Um, I believe that there were, um, there's, there was a large Jewish synagogue there. So chances are this church consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. Yes. And Ephesus, you can still go there today is a lot of archeological, um, digs there and, and, they've uncovered a lot of the city. You can read about Paul being in Ephesus in the book of Acts. Um, they're in the whole riot, that happened uh, when he started preaching the gospel because they they quickly knew this this guy is a disruptor of our culture and our way of life because mm-hmm. he's calling us to believe in this one particular God.
1: So in calling them in, in saying, you know, it's you now need to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Oh, right. He's telling them, hey, look, you've been called to walk in a different way. But this would have been foreign to some of them. It would have been, you know, regular and routine to some, to the Jews who had, you know, been familiar with Jewish law and the Old Testament and all that. But to some of them, you know, and there's argument that it could have been a good, chunk of the people who were there he's giving them a brand new set of instructions on hey this is how you do this and it's not the way that your culture is telling you to do things because one of the things and we'll read it in a minute is you should be humble well humility was seen as a way that the slaves lived they had this humble existence
0: and two-thirds of the ancient roman world were likely slaves So if you're telling a rich person to be humble, you're telling them to live like a slave. Paul repeatedly refers Mm -hmm. to himself as a slave for Christ. And so this would have been very countercultural and very offensive to some people Mm -hmm. in, in the congregation. But to tell them that they must maintain the unity of the Spirit implies that there was a unity that they had to Maintain. They had to walk in
1: it. Yes, because of what was done by the power of the Holy Spirit, read John 17. But now what Paul is doing is saying, hey, you Jew. And hey, you barbarian. You guys need to walk in unity together. You need to maintain what's been given to you. And that, I'm sure that rubbed people's hearts the wrong way. Yeah.
0: I'm sure it did. Because and and this is one of the points that you and I talked about very early on is that what we noticed in scripture is there's there's not commands of like well you gentiles you walk in humility you you work to keep the unity but Jews you already know what time it is you you, you don't you know these commands aren't for you or here's different commands for you it's everyone's responsibility to treat each other according to the father's household rules it's just like in a parents you you work with your children on this is how we're going to treat each other and this is how we're going to talk to each other this is how we're not going to talk to each other Mm -hmm. and how we're not going to treat each other uh we're not going to put our little brother in a suitcase and drag him around
1: um you so wrong (laughs) what if my brother watching you so wrong sorry mark (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: that might be a true story it might be. um but uh i think that this is this is important because you had a lot of rules that i was supposed to do yeah as a white person and uh-huh. you had different rules for you yeah of, mine is, were a lot easier <laughs> this is how we walk in unity and when we come to the bible we don't see that
1: so again um And this isn't really, and I I mean, I did a whole, you know, YouTube video on Be the Bridge, but it just makes me think about this because they are a Christian ministry that I think would be similar to ours or. They they,
0: want to work. They want to work toward unity, better unity, increased understanding.
1: But they have 16 rules, 16 tips, not rules, 16 tips for white people. And you.
0: And people some can of the rules, can, can Google yeah, that, yeah, you
1: just Google it. It's uh, it document. should be a free document, I think, yeah, online. Um, but some of those rules, just plainly put, I wouldn't abide by. I don't care what your color it is, and so you know, it's it's a thing of. Do we, do, do we see this in scripture? Do we have a precedent for it in the scripture where I can say, yes, we have this precedent. So I can give this group of people these rules and that group of people these rules, but then these people need to follow, you know, a whole different set of rules. Like there's
0: one group of people that should be slow to speak. And another know, group and of people
1: who are just...
0: In charge of the speaking. Yeah. Like that's not what we see. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, Bob. And... um keep going here through the passage. Um, It says eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this tells us very clearly, look, you are already unified. Unity is not a destination to be achieved, okay? Unity is a starting point of what Christ secured on the cross and what we walk into when we are adopted into his family. This is what we have got to get through our heads,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is the difference between the identity, the indicative the objectively true, I don't know, however you want to say it, versus the imperative, the commands, the household rules, the obedience. So one is the foundation, the identity, something is objectively true, versus, you know, we could call it justification, we can call it the gospel, versus what's the the structure that's built on top of that, that building the household of faith is this is then how we treat each other.
1: I think that's really helpful and important because when you don't understand that you can enter into legalism. Yes. And you can enter into, well, this is mine and you don't get to have it until you do these things. This is for us, but until you do X, Y, and Z, you can't really be a part of us. And, who then, you know, decides if you've done enough to become a part of us? And what if you mess up? Are you not a part of us? And so we don't want to create this legalism that says, you know, or, or all of these um, like hedge laws or these surrounding, you know, things that you have to do in order to truly keep God's command.
0: So let's let's break that down a little bit more because what you're saying there is really important.
1: Hey, I try. I
0: try. <laughs> so let's define legalism. I define legalism as man made laws that people try to bind our conscience to as if they are God's laws.
1: You should be reading White Fragility. <laughs> yeah.
0: That would be a
1: that would be a man made law. Um I swear it's in like fifteenth Thessalonians. <laughs> yeah. So what?
0: Legalism is not the same thing as obeying the law of Christ, okay? It says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, to baptize people, go out into all of the world, preach the gospel, go to the nations, baptize them, and then teach them to obey all of Christ's commands, okay? So obedience is not legalism, all right? Mm-hmm. Having patience and humility being slow to speak, being slow to anger. This is not legalism. This is obedience. Okay? So we've got to differentiate between God's laws or what Monique and I call the Father's household rules and these man-made, pharisaical hedge laws that this is an alternative system for this is how to be holy. Okay, so if somebody is telling you white people can't speak, I can't find that in the Bible. So for me, that's an immediate red flag of that sounds like a social justice Pharisee hedge law legalism, man-made, made up.
1: And I think it's important to attach the, you know, white people can't speak to something that is is a biblical principle or biblical, yes. you know yes. what I mean? So yes. it's like yes. white people can't speak so that, you know, black people have the opportunity to, or white people can't speak so that you can now, you know, exercise your listening. Right. Or in order for us to, to get to unity. And you that's know what, what I mean?
0: holiness looks like. This is, this is the different, you have to, if you can kind of lay hold of the difference between these legalistic man-made laws of anti-racism, and that those are things that humans are trying to bind your conscience to and tell you to do, and this is how to be a good person, this is how to be holy, this is how to be discipled, versus, okay, where do I find that in the Bible, where is what what does God's law have to say about that?
1: And I think that, you know, some Christians who uphold anti-racism or racial reconciliation can go to the Bible and say, you know, well, we need to be doing justice. Micah six. So it's not that they're not using scripture. Right. But then they put in the extra bit to it. The law part of this yeah. is how you do it. Well, and, but is the law part even Correct. That's what yeah, I mean. That, okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah, the man-made laws. Yes, yes, yes. So it's like, you know, you need to do justice, Micah like Six, so don't speak. Or you need, here's one that's not even about race, but you need to do justice. How many times? I've heard this a lot anyway. Do justice, thus fight for women's rights. Because, you know, we need to do justice reproductive on of, rights of women. O- abortion. Re- reproductive rights, Yes.
0: This is how we be holy. This is how we love our neighbor.
1: These are the extra law codes.
0: Yeah. So that's legalism. Okay. So Jenny says um, so. Legalism is a form of gatekeeping. Man gatekeeping people from God. Yeah. Or man telling people this is how to live. This is how you ought to obey God. I call it a holiness code. It's a it's a it's a social justice Pharisee's holiness code, in my opinion. This is a shorthand way that I refer to a lot of these principles of anti-racism. Now, I, if I dug deep in the Bible, and I could probably find a couple of principles of anti-racism and say, like, okay, I can see that in the Bible. But overall, I think most of them are just, they're man-made principles. They're, they don't mm-hmm. have a scriptural warrant for them.
1: And the end goal is also important. So where are these principles taking you? But that's a whole other All right, let's go back to
0: Ephesians 4 and give some more examples. Continue. So scroll down, Bob. Um, We're going to go to verse, um, let's see, verse 17. So here Paul describes the new life, and he's really comparing and contrasting here the life of the Christian versus the life of the non-Christian and what some of those markers are that the Gentiles, and he's using Gentiles here in the sense of, as a shorthand way to refer to people outside the covenant, people who are not Christians to use our lingo. Mm -hmm. Um, They have futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Ignorance is in them. They're hardness of heart. They're callous They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. So now he wants them to put off that old self mm-hmm. through its deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So part of coming into the Christian life is Is you come into the covenant, okay, we're all now part of God's household, temple of the Holy Spirit, living stones, all of these things. And now that's the foundation where then we've put off the old self, put on the new self, and we are going to be renewed into the likeness of God. So it's a restoration of what was lost at Genesis 3. That is the Christian life. This is what Monique was calling earlier sanctification. That is the technical theological term for it. We call it walking. It's walking, and we get that term here from Ephesians 4, is how do we walk in our Christian life? How do we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ? How do we obey the Father's household rules? Well, here's how. Let's look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood—this is what we're not going to do in the Father's household—let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. He's, now Paul is repeating here an Old Testament law. He's bringing something from mm-hmm. the book of Exodus into the New Covenant. Speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I belong to you and you belong to me.
1: But that whole, even the whole idea of truth in the racial reconciliation, yeah. you know, I don't want to interrupt. Sorry. Sorry.
0: <laughs> be angry and do not sin. So here's how we're going to live. We're not going to be angry and sin. We're going to resolve our disputes quickly. We're we're not going to let the sun go down on our anger because this would give the opportunity to the devil for division for something bad to happen in the relationship, to get in breakdown, okay? Um, the, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Okay, Paul is bringing into the New Covenant just a restatement of something that's throughout the Mosaic Law of not stealing, not engaging in fraud, not engaging in theft. This are... In that sense, there are no new laws here. Paul is simply um, broadening them and bringing them transculturally to the Gentiles into the new covenant so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, a restatement of a key principle from the Mosaic law. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is how we're going to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. We're going to be gracious with each other. We're going to have deference for each other. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is how we walk in unity.
1: And so I want to take this all the way back to the article we started with. Yes. And talk and this is what I was saying about people you have to have a foundation for your unity. Yes. What is the what is the foundation? What is the way that you're gonna go? What is gonna be the the directives or the the principles that you stand on? How do you know when you're walking in unity and what are the boundaries that keep your unity sealed in? When you don't have that. It's so easy for things to fall apart. It's so easy for us to walk away from each other. It's easy for me to be petty. It's easy for me to be petty anyway. But, I mean, it's easier for me to be petty. Um but and, the Holy Spirit works with you on that. And, he does. And that's
0: where we're— We are we be in this tug-of-war? Because I've be conf- like, More and more conformed yes. to the image of Christ. Yes. God's righteousness, a restoration of what was lost in Genesis 3. But when
1: we don't have that— yeah and we don't have the power of the holy spirit when we don't have you know unity as our starting point or or the foundation from something like Ephesians 4 it's easy for me to say well you create you 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 know did a microaggression against me and when you say no, you didn't or you don't think so. I can just write you off. Mm-hmm. I don't have to humble myself. I can live in my pride. I be- truly believe that when Paul tells them in Ephesians about you know being humble, it's because pride is is the center is that always at the center of division oh I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time pride is at the center of division like, like something has gone wrong, and it, it usually involves we want our, our pride. Way. We yeah. want our way. Somebody somewhere in it wants yeah, their way.
0: Absolutely. And I think that th- this is what is so important when I said earlier that God's law is simple, but hard. Okay. Saying here, you know, his his God's law, the father's household rules, however you want to say that, is that we are generous in our forgiveness. All right. I was toward the end there of Ephesians 4. This is how we walk. We are generous in our forgiveness. All right. That's very simple. It's not a complicated thing. It's 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 a simple thing. But it's hard. This is what I mean when I say it's simple. I think it's simpler than anti-racism,
1: but it's very hard. And this is why it, it's not surprising that people who don't have as their foundation would fall out would stop speaking to each other doesn't mean that every person who doesn't have christ every relationship without christ will sure but i definitely think it's easier because it's hard it's hard for us and we have jesus like it's hard we see things uh, most of the time eye to eye we understand like walking in unity well and what the foundation must be we understand but i I won't even talk about krista and her pride okay i'm not even gonna talk about that but me and my pride like I don't always want to to ask for forgiveness. I don't always want to you know, forgive. But these are the things that that the scripture calls us to. Sometimes I just want to be left alone. But think but- of
0: think of the to me some aspects of anti-racism are very simple. Read a book. That's simple. I don't have anything at stake over reading a book. I have a lot at stake over God's requirements for holiness. Of being generous and forgiveness.
1: Well, you might have a problem with reading a book depending on the book that they tell you to read. Yeah, but if I, if
0: I want to be a holy person, and there's someone who says this is the path to being holy, just read these books. Yeah, I, there's nothing at stake for me in that. That's easy. Um, if if I really want to be a good person, you know, give money to BLM. You know, what are the virtues that I need to do? In order to follow the the social justice holiness code. Well, look, if you want to
1: follow the social justice holiness code, and you handing out money to black people, (laughs) I am your neighbor. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? All right, we're going to come
0: back in a minute. Uh, We're going to hear from our friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary. We're going to be back
1: in one minute, and then we're going to hit your questions.
0: And then we'll go to your questions. Impact 360. Wrong sponsor. We're going to hear from our friends. And Impact 360. Then we're going
1: to get your questions and comments. And
0: that'll give us a minute to read through the the comments, and we'll come back with uh, some answers and some continued conversation. So be sure to write those in the chat. We'll see you in one. I'd always heard in church, like, go and make disciples, Mm -hmm. and they'd always say that verse, and I'm like, I don't really know what that looks like Mm -hmm. at all. And then when I got here, they taught me like everything I was curious to know about, like progressive Christianity and how to talk to an atheist and how to go about witnessing to someone without it being overly preachy or insincere. And that helped me so much.
1: It's just been such an awesome week you know, going through these questions and really diving into them and not just with me, but other Christians. It's not like an individual thing, it's a together thing. We're really strengthening our relationship with the Lord personally, but also together.
0: We have been given the greatest gift, we have been given life, and Propel has really made me realize once again how important it is to share that gift with the millions of people out there who don't have that gift that's just ripe for the taking. And once again, that's Impact 360. They still have some slots left in their summer camp for high school students. Yes.
1: So go check that out. It's an it, awesome discipleship ministry. Uh, and yeah. uh, Monique
0: will be speaking well, yeah. there later in the summer. Yes. All right. You're going to be at uh, Summit Ministries next week speaking at their summer camp or their program or whatever they're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, so a week from today, you'll be there and we we will not be here. Yes. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. Okay, let's hit Jenny's question. Let's see. Can white people understand marginalization? I may not understand it from a race standpoint, but people often dismiss me for other preconceived notions, and I can appreciate the frustration. Would you like to answer that one? No. She never likes to have fun, people. Um, in the greater conversation of marginalization. Um, we should do a show on mar- who are the marginalized sometime. We did one. No, we haven't. I thought you did. Uh. Uh-uh. No, okay. we
0: haven't d- done it publicly. Okay, That's just a training that never we do.
1: Um, in the greater conversation of marginalization, your social location is important. So it depends on, you know, the topic that we're talking about. And where you fall on the matrix of oppression. So the matrix of oppression really just is a chart that tells you what your social location is. And, um, you know, so it has, uh, imagine with me, a grid and going down the column side would be your, your social status. So, are you male or female? Your, your sex, your race, your age, all those things. And then you'll find yourself in a target category or a targeted category.
0: So look up the, uh, just Google right now, the matrix of oppression. Well, you don't want to
1: just Google it right now because we talking to them. I know, but then they can see it visually. Don't all right, go ahead. So when you f- right. think, yeah, Bob, the button pusher, he's on it. Um, when you find yourself on the matrix of oppression, then you know how many intersections you have, which lets you know your marginalization level. So, if you happen to be a white heterosexual woman, there aren't many intersections for you, there aren't many ways in which you would be considered marginalized. Um, now That's according to the social theory, you know, side of it. Could you understand what it's like to, you know, be marginalized in ways or, you know, to be on the fringes in ways that maybe someone else wouldn't? Sure. But that doesn't always show up in the conversation on critical theory, critical race theory, critical, you know, whatever theory that we're talking about, it doesn't always show up like that. So yes, you can be marginalized. You can experience marginalization. Um, But would it, would people always count it is the question.
0: Yeah, I don't think it would count if the critical social theories are the framework or rubric that's being used. Now, if a biblical framework for marginalization was being used, then race isn't consideration it's not the issue but yeah yeah all right um i want to talk about yente's comment real quick um she says yeah uh, many christians who follow the racial reconciliation model often put cultural social justice ahead of scripture as if scripture doesn't speak to issues of race adequately and i think that's such a good comment, because we were doing a training uh, last fall, and a woman actually raised her hand and said, wait a minute, you're going to tell me that how I walk in unity with people from other cultures and other races, that's a bunch of Bible verses? Like, is that really enough? Is 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 that really what, what this training is, is a bunch of Bible verses? Do you remember that woman? No, I don't. Oh. <laughs> Man, it just... Went right to my heart when she said that. It really stuck with me. Oh. Huh. Um, yeah. No. That it was just a bunch of Bible verses. And uh, I thought, wow, that's interesting because when we think about um, what Scripture speaks to, now I will grant you, sp- Scripture does not speak to every topic. Um, according to the doctrine of general revelation, uh, there are things that we can discover in nature that are true, even though the Bible doesn't mention them. The Bible doesn't say anything about the planet Jupiter. It doesn't say anything about comets. Um, it doesn't say anything about atom particles. Okay? That doesn't mean that those things are not true. But when Scripture does speak to something, it is the one infallible. God-breathed source that we have. So this is what we call the doctrine of Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura doesn't mean that the Bible is the only source of truth. But what it does mean is that the things that it does speak to, it is the highest authority. And so when we think about something like justice, which is a major theme of scripture, it is not like a little tangential thing over here, that's highly speculative. Justice itself is found in the very character of God. So, whatever we're going to talk about justice, and I think race is a, under that umbrella as a subcategory, yeah, scripture is going to have to lead the way. We will have to mine those principles
1: thoroughly. Okay, you want to do another question? Yeah, I thought you were going to say something else. No. Sorry, I just, never mind. Um, I want to go, I'm just going to go down the list. Um, there was a question from me, from Jenny, says, from Monique, what made you not just dismiss Krista and engage in conversation? Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> she dismissed me on the daily. <laughs> That's some real talk here.
1: What made you just not dismiss Krista and engage in conversation? Sounds a bit like you both realized you were having two different conversations, so tried to define terms, etc. Um, so so you were speaking the same language and could understand each other better. Um, so he's just so wrong. Um, gosh, there was a lot, and in, in the beginning, like. I did just dismiss her, like when I say that Paul talks about humility, because he knows that pride is, you know, so big. My pride can can really get in the way, people. Let's be honest. Um, And I thought I was right a lot of the time, and I mean, it wasn't even
0: we both thought we were right, yeah. And we were both trying to persuade each other, and yes, we did spend a lot of energy trying to define our terms. So that we could speak the same language. But I don't
1: think that... Okay, so yes, that's all true. I think for me, what happened that persuaded me to see things more that way, like the way that I do now, more in line with the historic Christianity, is there were kind of certain things that happened along my journey as I was talking to Krista. So I had an intern come to work, and she, um, at her university... Many of the Christian university. Yeah, it was a Christian university. And many of the students of color had like protested at school and were demanding resignations. And they told white students they couldn't speak in class. Like it was a lot of stuff. And I was like, well, I'm just having this conversation at home, too. Like, you know, now here it is. And, And looking at the real life implications of that. And there were other things that also happened that just made me reconsider some things. Mm-hmm. And as I would pray about it or pray for Krista to repent from her whiteness or, you know, all the, all the general prayer requests, it, it, I can't, it just had to be the power of the Holy spirit because I am not generally persuadable. Like if I, if I, if I'm confident in something that I'm confident in it and she's confident in everything. That, that just, that's it that's it. And so I feel like there's probably been like just a couple things over the course of my life where I'm like, you know, I might need to change my mind on that. Um, and this was one of them. So it really wasn't that I was trying to, you know, define my terms with her or get on the same page with her or things like that. It was that through the Holy Spirit and through things that I feel like the Holy Spirit aligned in my life, I was able to have other interactions that really got me thinking about what it means to be family. What does it, what does the Bible say Mm -hmm. or mean about us as brothers and sisters? And that began to knock down my paradigm.
0: Yeah. And when people ask me like, well, how did you persuade her? How did you talk her out? It's like, wasn't, I, I'm not a wizard. I didn't have a spell. I didn't do anything. (laughs) It's not like that. It was a lot of like, You know, I made a lot of mistakes. I did my best. I tried to bring up the Bible. I asked questions. And the Lord did things. I had nothing to do with. There were experiences that she had and she would come home and said, You know, this happened to me today. And it made me remember this thing that you said a couple of months ago. And and so that was really the Lord. I was just there kind of tilling the ground and planting the seeds. And there's a video on my YouTube channel. It's about twenty minutes, I think of it talks about like some tips on talking to people who are in um the critical social theories or ju- social justice warriors. If you want to check that out, I have some practical tips there. It's on the theology mom channel.
1: Elaine's question is do folks with anti-racist mindset or goals resent Scripture telling them what to do, et cetera. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs or something. Does that not sit well? Is it oppressive to bring that up? So, with hmm. it's a great it, question. It is. A, it is a very. I'm sure question. we've
0: ever had that question before.
1: And it depends on the person, so yeah. I can't, I don't want a blanket it's very person, statement. Person yeah.
0: relative. Yeah.
1: I don't want a blanket statement. Many people. Um, who upholds a lot of the critical social theories or lean more toward Marxism, I would say, would find issue with a lot of the, you know, love your neighbor, um, be slow to, sp- everybody be slow to speak. Um,
0: be generous in your forgiveness. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the whole conversation about black forgiveness. Yeah. You know, that, that blacks don't need to be so... Um, willy-nilly or so free giving with with our, with our forgiveness. Um, But, you know, the farther you move away on the spectrum, you know, Marxism has no respect or regard for God. And so it doesn't surprise me when I see people saying you need to decolonize your faith or you need to go back to African spiritualism or, you know, like I feel like certain for certain people, Once you enter into the realm of the critical theories and anti-racism, you begin to move away from your faith overall. And for some, it does lead to complete deconstruction.
0: Yeah, we've had conversations with Elisa Childers, our friend about that is, it seems like the path to progressive Christianity and, and the critical social theories, when you start going down that road, it's almost like. You're in a hallway and there's two different doors and you go through those doors, but you end up almost in the same room. And eventually, whether you're in progressive Christianity or you go through the door of the critical social theories, you kind of end up in the same place with a lot of similar ideas and cross-pollination and and introducing those ideas to each other. It's, it's um, interesting. Can we do one more scripture and then come back and do some more questions? Sure. Let's right. do it. Uh, I want to look at just for the sake of um, really making sure that we're helping people understand what we're saying. And mm-hmm. when we talk about walking in unity and and the difference between the indicative and the imperative, you know, the objective reality versus how do we walk in it and all of that. I want to look at Colossians chapter 3, which is a really good parallel passage to Ephesians chapters 4 and 5. Um, so here again, we have putting on the new self, putting off the old self. So Bob, if you could scroll down a little bit on that one, um, put to death, it says in verse five, therefore, what is earthly in you? And here again, it, it gives us the marks of the non-Christian, sexual immorality, um, impurity, desire, evil desire, covetousness, which is passion. idolatry, passion on account of these, The wrath of God is coming in these. You too once walked when you were living in them. But now, so now we have a different reality. Those who have come into the covenant, those who are in the household of the father, you must put them all away. So here's how we're not going to live in the father's house. Here's how we're not going to walk. We're not going to engage in anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. So you have a new identity, a new way of being. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So notice again the language that takes us right back to the early chapters of Genesis. The image of the creator, what was lost at Genesis 3, is being restored in the life of the Christian. It it is the start of that restoration to the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's keep reading. Here, there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. I want to talk about that verse. I want to talk okay. about verse 11.
1: Okay.
0: Because that verse is often misused. Mm-hmm. How, how do people often misuse that, that, that you hear? And, and that we get this at every
1: outreach. Well, I think that when people read it, some people, not I'm not trying to you know, say all people, but they will participate with that verse as if, well, that means we don't need to talk about race at all. That means we're all just the same. Yeah. But that isn't exactly what that verse is saying.
0: Yeah. It's saying that now we have that common foundation Mm -hmm. that we've all come in, whether you're Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Now we're all in Christ. Okay.
1: And that is our common foundation. That's our foundation. common identity.
0: Yes. So we don't stop being male or female. We don't don't wake up the next day and we have no ethnicity. Yeah. We're, we still have the same family heritage. We're still from the same location that we were before.
1: Still might have the same socioeconomic background. Still might be a slave. Still might be free. Still might be
0: rich. Still might be poor. Okay. None of that goes away when we come into Christ. But what happens is when we come into God's family, It is the equalizer in the sense of it's the one intersection we all have. We're all sinners and we all need the same cure. We need a savior. It is the one thing that we all need. Okay. But when we come in the household of faith, the equalizer is that you could have an elder in your church who's a slave in the outside world, Mm -hmm. but because of his character in his obedience to the father's household rules, walking in unity. His identity as
1: a child of God. Yes.
0: That slave is seen by the congregation as spiritually mature, renewing toward the image of, of Christ, the righteousness of God. And so he becomes established as a leader in the church. You might have a barbarian or a Scythian, a slave... A free person, a Jew, and a Gentile, and they're all elders. Mm-hmm. So this is what it's saying when we come into the household of faith. Your social, lo- what we call the social location, it 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 doesn't affect how you're treated in God's house.
1: Yes, because in God's house, that that's the 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 equalizer for us. Is that we are all children of God in the same way that, you know, parents don't play partiality, you know, and love this one more or love that one less. God doesn't love this one more or that one less.
0: Yes.
1: And when I no partiality from Acts chapter 10. Yeah. Peter
0: says that yes. very clearly. Yes. Yes.
1: So he's not, you know, God isn't playing partiality based on our skin color, ba- based on our sex, based on our socioeconomic status. Right. Like there's no partiality. We uh, all have the Holy Spirit. Yes.
0: We're all full-fledged members of God's household.
1: Yes. And... So this, this is where Paul says, there, in here, we don't play by those outside rules. Well, you're just a barbarian. Or, well, you're a Scythian. Well, you're just a slave. And, you know, what all comes along with that in the outside world, in culture? We don't do that in the church. We don't do that as brothers and sisters. And this kind of leads us into a conversation of colorblindness, I feel like. I feel like that's a long conversation. Yeah, no, let's not do that. Yeah, no, that, that's, no a, that's, that's a long not. conversation. No. So... What, okay, let me ask you this before Before I say what I was going to say. What is your hope in talking about Colossians 3.11? Yeah,
0: so let's let's keep going. Okay. Yeah. So then put on then as God's holy ones or chosen ones, holy and beloved. All right, here's now how we're going to walk. Verse 12. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if it, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. hmm As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony with the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, so this is how we walk. Again, simple, easy to understand, difficult to do. Hard to be patient. Yes,
1: because I like things now. (laughs)
0: So, we ought to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which we are called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Then we have some instructions to wives, husbands, children, bondservants more rules, and this parallels, if we were had to turn the page to Ephesians 5, we would see very similar household rules. This is how we walk in unity, okay? There's no complicated system we have to understand, and it's super countercultural to where we are. There is mm-hmm. so much pressure right now that I must live according to the holiness of the social justice Pharisees, or they're going to come for me. They're going to shame me, cancel me, call me names, and all of that. What, thought, what thoughts do you
1: have? i was still thinking about my colorblindness comment. Oh.
0: We're not doing that tonight. Sorry. All right, let's finish out here with a few uh, questions. All right. Let's see. How do you... Oh, wait. Well, first, let me go to Jeff Davis's comment. It's great. Uh, laying aside oh, falsehood... And speaking truth with one another starts with us first. Being truthful with ourselves. Mm. Oh. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. It sounds so simple. But speaking the truth to ourselves first, to, to come into quick agreement with what the Holy Spirit is telling us about ourselves or revealing to us, that's, that's tough. That's really tough.
1: All right. Uh how do you get Christians who follow more of a racial reconciliation model to see that their foundation is unity or it's that their faulty. foundation is faulty? Sorry.
0: Oh, it's just it's hard. I mean, to me, I and and I could be wrong. I mean, maybe five years from now, I'll have a better answer to this question. Like, how do you get someone to change their mind? That's basically what you're asking me. And we get that question all the time. I have no idea that that's the Holy Spirit's job. I think the best you can do is if if they're a Christian, have Bible study, and trust that the Lord will work through the Bible study and do some things. um You can't control people. You can't engage in some weird form of sorcery and witchcraft to change people's minds. If they don't have the Lord, like the the two women that we were talking about at the beginning, there was nothing about their religious convictions in there. So I'm going to make an assumption here that. Um, you know, the religious convictions weren't part of their conversations. Uh, you know, if if you're not building the model on the gospel, it's so easy to give up on people. I don't know how you change people's minds about that.
1: Yeah, I think um, being patient and actually walking it out and yeah. staying true to what the scripture says and allowing them to ask questions. Living it in yeah. front of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah.
0: So even when they're calling you a racist, just be patient. Hear them out. Pray. <laughs> ask the Lord for something to say. I don't know.
1: But I do think too that also calling their faulty beliefs to the cart and being like, "Well, how 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 does this line up in light of what Paul tells us in Ephesians?" Mm-hmm. Where do you see this, you know, a concept, this concept in scripture anywhere? Yeah. I used you, to ask you that a lot. Asking asking questions and, you know, not not feeling like you have to, you know, back down to appease someone else and you don't want to just, you know, can the whole relationship. Of course not. But a lot of times what I see is people say, well, I can't say that because I'm white, or I can't say that because they won't agree, or they say things you don't agree with. So, you know, we we're, we all need to be adults. And, and if they are going to, you know, be able to throw something out there, they should also be able to receive something and not feel, you know, attacked and things like that. But that's a whole nother conversation because a lot of times I feel like in this current culture, it's, you know, you should be expected to take something, but then the person who throws it doesn't really want to receive it.
0: But that is something I would bring up with you from time to time is I would say, well, now, wait a minute. You're, you're wanting to persuade me that you're correct. Don't I get a chance to try to persuade you to see my point of view? Like, isn't that what this is? Or am I just supposed to just receive all of your wisdom and everything you say and not question, I'm like, that's never going to work for me. Like, And I, I told Monique repeatedly, look, I am willing to consider your claims, and I'm willing to get on the same page with you, but you're going to have to show me biblically, in context, where you're getting this idea.
1: And it's the in context part that really... <laughs> Leaves a little you can't in your just heart.
0: keep quoting Micah six eight to me. I think I probably said that word for word to her on a couple of occasions. You cannot keep quoting Micah six eight to me and think that's going to do all the heavy lifting to get you to all of these ideas about whiteness and anti racism and all this kind of stuff. Like that's not strong enough. You can't, you can't we can't get there.
1: Um, Ginny has a question for you.
0: Oh, then we're skipping that. I have nothing for that.
1: No. We, we, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I have questions. Yeah, I if don't know. reality and truth were part of a Trinity, what would be the third part? I have no idea. I got nothing. Why not? Because I don't. Reality, truth. I was going to say objectivity, but uh, reality objectivity would be made of. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's go to Elaine's sorry, questions.
0: Uh, when, Elaine's question. How do non-believers base their ideals Or human interaction, why do they even bother? I think that's a good question. I think that increasingly we're seeing non-Christians like engage in any kind of relationship because it benefits them. That there's some kind of pleasure involved or they see a benefit to them. And if the relationship no longer serves them or becomes difficult or uncomfortable, they just kind of unhook from it. Um, Christianity is not like that. Um, when I wake up in the morning and I think I don't want to go out in the real world because people are too people-y, um, that, that, <laughs> that's not going to work for me as a Christian. Um, you know, that I, I've got some, uh, I've got some ways that I have to live through the Holy Spirit, you know, and how I have to treat people.
1: I asked the question of how do non-believers base their ideals for humanity? Just period, like yeah, you know, I mean. just you know, why why do justice if you're not a Christian? Exactly. Why tell the truth if you're not a Christian? Like uh, to some degree, they're just borrowing, be a nihilist
0: and get it over with.
1: They're borrowing from our worldview, um, but then too, it's it's kind of like that thing of. Um, There, there's a piece of us, I would say, because we are created in the image of God. I think that truly deep down, like. There's something that lets you know when something's not right, like the majority of people know that murder is wrong, but why? Why is murder wrong if you don't believe in God, you don't believe that people are created in the image of God, like what is the value of human life? And so, I don't know, I kind of, this is something I've been thinking about, is just, you know, being created in the image of our Father, I do believe that there is something in us that still reflects a a piece of our Father.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the Creator. Yeah. Um, Okay, I think we have reached the end, and I think we got to all the comments. We want to encourage you to check out the family meeting from Thursday Monique had Woke story hour and uh, got some foolishness from target and read some kids books. So make sure to check that out. Uh, We will be off next week because Monique will be in Colorado speaking at summit ministries. That's it.
1: That is it. You guys have a great two weeks. We will see you
0: soon. We hope you found this helpful. Please share this podcast with a friend, a pastor um, someone that you think it will be helpful to help us get the word out and uh, share it on your social media. Thank you so much. God bless and good night. Bye. Thanks for listening to All the Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website
1: at allthethingshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.